You want to turn to the 15th chapter of Matthew this morning. We'll be there in a minute. I told you last week that this subject that God has had me on for the last several weeks, I preached on it starting last week, about the conscience. It's been probably the most interesting study I've ever done. And if you've ever worked a crossword, not a crossword puzzle, but a a jigsaw puzzle, you got a piece there. You're trying to finish the puzzle. You got a piece, you've looked at it 10 times now. You know exactly what it looks like. You know what color it is, what shape it is but you can't figure out where it goes in the picture. You got to get some more pieces in until you can figure out where it goes. That's what it's been like with me the last two or three, four weeks. I have been aware of the Bible for 75 years or better. And I know a lot of things, but I don't often know where everything goes you know a particular thing here and a particular thing here, and you feel like you understand it, but you don't know in the big picture just exactly where it goes. Well, what God has been doing with me the last three or four weeks is showing me where these puzzle pieces go and how they fit in, and it's amazing. It's amazing, and we all need to know it. And I hope I'm adequate to explain to you. I prayed for three weeks that I would be, and maybe I can't. Well, we talked about this thing about a conscience last week. And I've made a lot of mistakes in my comments, public comments, about a conscience. I didn't realize about it. But I'm getting some information on it now. And God's giving me more all the time, and I can't, I can't stay out of the book. But we talked about this thing called a conscience last week, and I mean, I'm, I remember making a statement that I had only known one person that said he didn't have one. But I've learned he had one too. He just didn't know it. But he made the comment that he had never felt guilty about anything. Well, now we know from what little we know about conscience, I knew that a conscience is a thing that makes you feel guilty. The conscience in us is a warning device to say you should have known better than to do that. It makes us aware of sin like the Holy Spirit does. And we saw last week where the Holy Spirit trains our conscience once we become a Christian. But we looked at the different kinds of consciences in the Bible last week, and some of them no good at all. And we argue with them. They try to tell us straight, and we argue. And we do it anyhow until we get to the point to where it's like a seared with a hot iron It doesn't have any feelings at all. You can do anything and your conscience doesn't bother you anymore because it's found out it's just wasting its time with you. But I've learned we all have one. We'll see that in a minute. And one of the purposes for the conscience is to produce guilt. 
And this thing's kind of like an octopus that sticks his head up out of the water. And you think, well, that's a weird-looking thing. And then all of a sudden, a leg comes up. And you say, well, it's got a leg. And then first thing you know, there's eight of them. And you can't believe that a thing that first showed itself had that many had that many legs. That's what I've learned about this word conscience. It deals with guilt, and it has to do with hypocrisy, and it has to do with truth and honesty, and all those things come into play when you're dealing with this word conscience. It warns us of our, con- of our conduct And it produces guilt when our conduct is not good. Now see, guilt is the thing that Jesus did away with when he came and asked us to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did away with our guilt. We don't have a need for that anymore. We can ask forgiveness and clear ourselves of that guilt that we had. But we were born into sin. We were created to sin. And then God sent Jesus. Because in Proverbs it says, if you leave that child in its original condition, when God sends you a child, if you leave that child in its original condition, it will grow up to shame his mother. So the whole idea about the Bible is people got to change. I mean, that's just it. And you, as a parent, have got to change your children or they will grow up to shame you. Now, one thing that I've seen is one of these rabbit trails that runs out from that word conscience is this thing about heart, H-E-A-R-T. I've noticed it for years. I didn't know how to define it. But the Bible defines heart, the word heart. And when it speaks of our heart, it's talking about everything that is in our body that you can't touch. It's talking about our mind. It's talking about our conscience. It's talking about our spirit. It's talking about our thinking processes. It's talking about our brain. All those things that you can't put your finger on, the Bible calls heart. And what it, this, the definition of this word heart from the Bible is the inner man. Everything that happens on the inside of you that you can't touch with your finger, the Bible calls your heart. So that's the reason we get this idea that well, the Bible says you do your thinking with your heart. It does. And we'll see what all of that is talking about. But it talks about anything that happens to you on the inside of you that you can't put your finger on is your heart. And it's composed of all these other different things. But everything is your heart or your inner man. And then this, what you can touch, what you can feel, what can bleed... And what can pain and can hurt is your outer man. So that's the kind of definition we'll be using with this thing about conscious is when it's talking about your inner man and your outer man. And that's the way the Bible divides us up. 
the contrast to the heart is the body. So whatever's made of flesh is the body. Whatever's not is called the heart. The visible thing, the thing that you can see in somebody else is the outer man. So we've got the inner and the outer, and that's the way the Bible deals with it. It says, worship that is given with lips. The outer, the visible, the audible worship. Worship that other people can see. Worship that is given with the lips, the outer man, when his heart, the inner, invisible, inaudible man, is far from God. Is a good example of this contrast. Now listen to what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. Jesus said, People honor me with their lips, the outer man, but their heart is far from me. We know that scripture. We've heard it a hundred times probably. People honor me with their lips, he says, but their heart's far from me. This is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. When people say and they act like they are honoring Jesus, but in their heart they're not. And they're, they're living a false life. Now, we call them hypocrites. And nobody likes a hypocrite. I mean, even people that don't come to church don't like hypocrites. They say that's the reason they don't come. It's because of all the hypocrites there. And so many people do live the life of a hypocrite. We'll talk about that. For some reason, several weeks ago, this word persona, P-E-R-S-O-N-A, I got this question about this word persona. And I had to look it up, and once I looked it up, then I had to study it. I was trying to figure out what it was. The word persona is a psychiatric and a psychoanalysis word for the role that we play in public. That is our persona. So this is what he's talking about, the outward man is called by behavioralists the persona. And it is the, rule we the role that we play for everybody else. They don't know our inside man, but this is the man that we put on our outer man so everybody thinks we're grand and wonderful. Now there's an interesting thing about that. Everybody plays a role. You know what I look like on the outside, but you really don't know what I look like on the inside, but you think you do because of the way I act on the outside, and that's what I told you last week. One thing the Bible teaches is where we wind up with God in heaven or hell is going to depend on what we do, not what we say. So we can say things 
out of this persona, this role that we play, we can say things that make people think that we're grand and wonderful. But there's an interesting thing that the Bible talks about. It says that God looks on the heart. <laughs> so it knows exactly what we are. It don't matter how we act. God looks on our heart, and so he sees through with what exactly is going on. So, when a person lives the outward man differently than the inward man, that's called hypocrisy, and he lives in this public role, he's dishonest. That's what Jesus called the hypocrite. With the outside, they worship me, but with the inside, and I know what their insides are, and they don't. Do you remember the scripture when Jesus said, God is looking, we, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. I know about that. I've studied that scripture for 40 years trying to figure out exactly what it means. I found out that spirit, we have to worship him in spirit as a Christian. A non-Christian cannot worship God any kind of way. So you have to be a Christian. So that's the spirit part. But then you have to worship him also in truth. And that's what we're talking about right here. To worship God, the outer man has got to represent the inward man. He knows the inward man, and when you don't act like what's going on inside, you try to cover it up to people. God says, you can't worship me unless you worship me in truth. Now, you can lie to everybody in town. You've got them all believing that you're a great guy. But I know better. And what you deal with me in has got to be truth. You've got to give me the truth of what your heart is and not make up a role for me. It's okay for everybody else, but for me, you've got to play the truth. That's called honesty. Honesty is when God that knows my heart, I give him my heart. I tell him the truth. I don't try to play any kind of a, a game with him or any kind of role with him. And he says he's looking for people who are Christians, number one, and, and that Christian worships him the same way on the outside as he does on the inside. That's what he's looking for. That's basic instructions coming from our, our Jesus. When we think of the head as doing the mental things, the Bible calls the heart this thing that does the mental things. So then the heart is the inner life that one lives before God and himself, a life that is unknown by anybody else. And Peter calls it the hidden man of the heart. Why? Because we can keep it hidden. We can keep our heart hidden. We're, if we're not honest, if we, if we live a Hippocratic life, nobody will know what we are inside. First Samuel, God says, it's a place where it says, chapter 16, verse 7, that God looks on the heart. 
so we can establish it to that place right there. So it is natural then if the Bible talks about conscience, and it does in so many places. I didn't know there was that many places that talked about conscience and guilt. But we can assume then that the conscience is part of this heart that is the inner man that God is talking about. In Psalms 14.1, David said it is from the heart the fool speaks to himself. So a man who is unwise, that's what the Bible calls a fool, there are seven kinds of fools in the Bible. And the fool that God calls a fool is a man who his heart speaks to him about what he needs to be doing. We see, if you will turn there, just a few pages to the left of Matthew chapter 5. We're talking about the conscience warning us when we do wrong, when we make wrong decisions. But you see, there are so many people nowadays, and I've learned, that the preachers talk about what you do. And we said that a while ago. But there's also a way to sin against God, not just because of what you do, but what you think. And that's an interesting concept. But it says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, well, verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That is being unfaithful to your mate, your marriage partner. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So you see, nobody else may know about what you do. But if you think wrong in your heart, you've already sinned against God. And you've got to ask God to forgive you for that thought. He even says in Psalms that if bad thoughts gets in your mind and you leave them there, you think about it, you fantasize about doing this or that or the other, either illegal or immoral or whatever it is we fantasize about. If you leave it there, he says, I won't hear your prayers. He doesn't say, I won't answer your prayers. He said, I won't even hear it. When you're walking around with bad thoughts in your mind, God says, I'm not even listening to you. Ain't no use to pray to me. That's a hard, that's a hard subject. A hard thing to say. To know that our God, the one we serve, is not even listening for our prayers. And he's not going to hear it when we pray. If we've got something in our minds, thinking about something that's not good. It's from the heart that words and outer actions come. Now we talk about, I've said it myself, that we think about something before we do it normally. We've already made it all right. I make a comment. <laughs> Folks would tell me, oh, my dog won't bite you. I say, well, I'll tell you what, that one right there has already made his mind up. It's okay to bite me. Now he hadn't bit me yet, but he thinks it's all right. I can tell by the way he's acting. And that's the way people are. They've already made it up in their heart that it's okay for them to do something, one thing or another. 
and we've got to make decisions about thousands of things that come into our life and to choose what we're going to do and what we're not going to do or how we're going to react to it. So if thoughts proceed outer actions and all of those come from your heart, it's the one that's telling you to do what you do, You got to have his heart clean. The only solution for that is clean your heart. The origin of what we're doing wrong. In Hebrews, don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you because we're going right back to Matthew. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22, it said us, and having a high priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. <laughs> now there's something you may or may not know. Us Baptists, we've got it pretty well figured out, we think. But from 1,500 years before Christ, the Jews were sprinkling and pouring like the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Catholics did. They weren't baptizing. They called it baptizing. They weren't baptizing for salvation, which is like John the Baptist did. You go back and study him. Those people who were, were, were saved, accordingly, or said saved by John the Baptist, weren't, didn't really have salvation because they had to be reborn again. They were doing, John the Baptist was doing, before Jesus came and established the church, John the Baptist was doing to people what the Jews had been doing to people for 15, 1,600 years. They sprinkled water on them and poured water on them to bring about purity in their hearts and to clean up their hearts. And that's what they did. And if you go back and study what John the Baptist was doing, he was cleaning people of impurities and sins. He was getting them to learn to repent of the bad stuff they were doing before Jesus started his ministry and started saving folks through the apostles. An interesting thing, I thought, you remember in the Cana when Jesus was asked to turn the water into wine? If you go back and look in John chapter 2, there were six stone pots of water there in the house where Mary asked her son Jesus to turn that water that was in those pots into wine. Those pots were there for the Jews' ceremonial cleansing. They sprinkled people with it. That's the reason it was in the house to start with. You ask yourself, why was all that water here to start with? It was there for the Jews to cleanse each other and make each other pure and clean up their hearts. And they were doing that for, like I said, 15, 1,600 years. So it says, it uses the term in Hebrews, their hearts 
had to be sprinkled from a bad heart to get an unclean heart away from them. And it, that terminology may seem strange to us today, but to the Jew of that day, he knew exactly what they were talking about. It is the pure in heart, you remember, that Jesus said are the blessed. You remember, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, that, that fits in now. I mean, I've memorized those things as a kid. I had to, they made me. I didn't ever understand it. The pure in heart see God. Okay, so when you die, you see God. No, that's not what he's talking about. Is talking about when you get honest with your insides, the pure in heart, the people who are acting on the inside like they are on the outside and being honest with themselves and everybody else and God too. When you get your heart pure and you don't have to hide it from other people, you begin to see God. God shows himself to you. Right here, now, you begin to see him in your scriptures and see all those puzzles fit. Now, those so many things that I didn't know where they went, they begin to fit now. And they're all tied together into one thing. The blessed, the people who live a blessed life are those that are pure in heart. Hypocrites do not lead blessed lives. All they've got to do is put on this face, as we call it, and live a double life, one inside and one outside, and God's not going to bless them. I remember, and just now came to mind, when Judy and I and a lot of people from our church went to hear Bill Gothard back in the days, late 70s maybe, early 80s, and the one thing he said is if you're going to be anything to God and you're going to be able to walk up and down the street boldly and, 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 and testify for the realness of Jesus Christ, you've got to go back to everybody that you've mistreated that's back in your memory and you've got to apologize to them. You've got to clean your heart from all that sin that you can do. Somebody asked the question, what sins are you talking about? He said, those you remember. If you remember doing something bad to somebody, go back and apologize to them. Be careful. Don't mess up today, but apologize to those for doing what you might have done years ago. But God wants you in a place not only where you can look at him face to face and not have to hide your insides, but to where you can look at each other and not have to be ashamed of something you might have done to somebody else. To be able to boldly walk and speak of Jesus. Now if you will please turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. In verse 9. 
Well, let's look at verse 8. But what saith the book? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach, Paul says. He said, you got it in you. God said, I'll put it in their heart where they can read it every day. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You want the definition of born again, of being saved? There it is. There it is. And see what he's talking about here is the inner man and the outer man conform. You're both just the same. That's an honest person. Someone who acts on the outside just like he thinks on the inside. If thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. An honest belief. Verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That's the inner man. For from the heart man believes that which is right. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The inner man, he believes in what he's heard, the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the outer man, he tells it, he's honest. He's honest to everybody around him what has gone on inside of him. That's the reason that I insist when we're baptizing folks, Somebody has asked me, well, have you talked to them? No. I've baptized people that were sitting here that I didn't know were coming up there. And somebody told me in the water, Mr. Jim Stacy's out there. Sure enough. Well, do you think he wants to be baptized? He's in the line. This man was in his 70s. I said, do you think he's in the line to be baptized? Well, he's got a towel with him. Now, I hadn't discussed salvation with Mr. Jim. I hadn't sat down and had him tell me what he believed on the inside. But you know what? He did right there in the water where everybody out here could hear him. It's not good enough for me to know. you got to know it. He stood before people and said, I said, Mr. Jim, do you believe that Jesus died for you and that you're now born again because his blood was shed for your sins? Yes, I do. And that's what I tell folks. All I want is for that man to stand and testify in front of believers that he's one too and that it has happened in his heart. And when, this ha- when he says that, his respon- he got the responsibility. I don't have it. I don't have to talk to people to baptize them. You stand and testify in there that it happened to you, I'm fixing to put you under water. And I've seen some preachers that were so scared to baptize people because they were afraid they might not really be truly saved. I don't worry about that. That's not my problem. That's God's problem. Because if he testifies that he is, well, I'm going to act like he is too. Because you see, it came out of his heart. That leads to salvation, it says. Because the inner man and the outer man 
conform. It's genuine. It's not hypocritical. He said it, so it must be from his heart or only outward. He's not playing a game. He said it in front of a church full of people, so it's from his heart. That's the way I see it. So you see what the Bible has put together for me, I think probably has put together for you a few new things, that I'm seeing things that I have never been able to put in their proper place before. I knew what they were, but all of this is beginning to fit now. And because of that, I brought up last week, I don't know whether everybody's got the conscience or not, but if you'll turn to Genesis chapter 3, I hope we'll be able to straighten that out. Genesis chapter 3. You remember what happened in the garden? God walked with Adam, and then he gave him a mate that was fit for him, Eve, and the two of them walked in the garden in the cool of the evening with God. Remember that. God had told Adam, you can do anything in the garden but eat of the tree of life. can't do that. You can't do that. So then when Eve came along, Adam told Eve, there's only one thing we can't do, and that's eat of that tree of life, of the fruit of the tree of life. In chapter 3 and verse 6. Well, let's do verse 5. Let's go to 4. It just keeps getting bigger. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. God just told you that. He's lying to you. And the serpent, And for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Now, ask people say that Satan lied to Eve. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he twisted the truth, <laughs> but he didn't lie. She misunderstood him. She thought that what he was saying, if you eat of that fruit of that tree, you're going to fall over dead. That's not what he said. What he said was, was the truth, that if you eat of that fruit of that tree, then death will come into your life and sooner or later, everybody's going to die. Before then, Adam and Eve weren't created to die. They were created to live forever. But once they sinned, death came into their lives. And he was telling them the truth. And when the woman saw that the tree, verse 6, was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So they ate of the truth. They disobeyed God. Disobedience to God is sin. So they sinned. Now think for a moment before we get any further. Adam had walked with God when he was by himself. He had a perfect life. He had never sinned. He had never disobeyed God. He had never done anything wrong. 
He lived a perfect life. And here come along Eve. And she lived with Adam. And they walked with God in the afternoon. Hey, when they sinned, that walking with God was over. God couldn't associate with them after they become sinners. So you see, they're walking with God. And then they sinned. And up until that point, neither one of them had ever sinned. So they didn't know what was going on with sin because it had never happened to them. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They made themselves little loincloths or whatever out of fig leaves to cover up their nakedness. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. <clears throat> that gets me, folks. God came for his walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden in the evening. And Adam and Eve are not there. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. They're hiding in the trees. They're not out there to walk with him like they do every afternoon. And here it is, verse 9. I mean, y'all, this is big. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you, Adam? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Have you ever been in that place when you didn't want God walking in your garden? Have you ever done something and you knew you'd done it, you knew God wasn't going to be happy with it, and you didn't want him coming around? You certainly wasn't going to approach him because you didn't want to have to deal with him. You didn't want to have to look him in the face. And God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Who told you? You didn't know before. Hadn't been bothering you since you've been here. Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? God knew his heart. He knows our hearts. You don't, he doesn't have to ask you what you did. He knows what you did before you ask him. Now, when he asks you, are you going to be honest about it? That's the thing. Is the inner man going to conform to the outer man? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. It's interesting to me. Well, brother, did you sin? Oh, yeah, but you know... All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody sins, you know. It ain't no big deal. That's kind of the way it looks to me that Adam said, yeah, I sure did. I did what you told me not to. But that woman you sent me, she's the one talked me into it. And it's not just a guy thing, girls. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is that thou, this that thou hast done? 
And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me. Now there's the word. That's what he did. He twisted the truth. He didn't lie to her. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Adam, why did you do what I told you not to do? That woman you sent me, Lord, that's what she talked me into. Eve, did you eat too? I sure did. You know that serpent's the one that talked me into doing it. They both of them had excuses before God. A good lesson right there, folks. When God squares up with you and says, you've got to be truthful with me. I'm looking for people who are worshiping me in spirit and in truth. You are a Christian, that spirit. Now, I want to hear the truth. And if you don't give me the truth, I can't deal with you. There were two people in the world they had never sinned. Did they have a conscience? I believe they did. Why? Because when they did sin, they hid. They had guilt. Conscience produces guilt when you do bad. Now the thing that you got to understand and it talks about it in the 14th chapter of Romans. If you think something is bad and you do it, even though it's not what God calls bad, that's a sin too. It's not a sin in the Bible, but it's a sin because you did something you thought was wrong. And it don't matter whether it's wrong or not. It says in the last part of the 14th chapter of Rome, Romans, happy is he in those things which he alloweth. When you're mature and you know it's okay to eat meat that has been offered to idols, is what they're talking about. Happy is the man that does what he knows God doesn't have a problem with. And you get that out of this book. You don't get it anywhere else. You don't get it out of every preacher's mouth because they lack the ability to be able to tell you things that will make you do stuff, they feel like they've got power to do that. But I'm telling you this, God doesn't back you up with anything except what he said in this book. That's all. So who has a conscience? When there was only two that had been created, both had been, been had guilt, that means they have been warned. The conscience is a warner. It told them, you're going to have to face God. And when they heard God's voice, they both ran hid in the trees from guilt. Both knew and hid themselves. But there's another thing they didn't understand. They didn't have a Bible to read. They didn't know that you can't hide from God. David gives a really good thing about that. He said, everywhere I go, you're there. Even if I go to hell, you're down there too. You can't hide from God. So the point is, God is looking for people who are honest on the inside and honest on the outside. Even about themselves. That's the thing that most of us would have a problem with. Admitting that we have sin in our life. We admit that we've done things wrong. The thing is, not to hide what you've done wrong, just immediately go to God and ask forgiveness, and it's done, it's taken care of. 
You don't have to hide. <laughs> because you can't hide anyhow. <laughs> There's no way you can, no place you can go that God don't know you were there. So then we have to conclude that our inner man was created by God. Our heart, our mind, and our consciousness were all created by God. Because when there wasn't but two created, they had it. They had a conscience, and they had guilt. So everybody, I conclude, that has been created by God has a conscience that produces guilt that keeps us on the right road until we're born again and become a Christian. And then the Holy Spirit starts telling our, our, our conscience what actually the Bible says is right and what's wrong. Everybody's got a conscience. Everybody listens to those mentors in their life and if they're kids, they get spanked for not doing what mom and daddy says is good. And as they get older, they start making up their own mind and probably still get spanked. They did in my day. They probably wouldn't now. But it even says in Proverbs that a rod, that the Bible says you're supposed to put on the backside of a child, is for food for those who do not know right from wrong. That word fool that it used in Proverbs is a grown man. So the stick that you spanked a child with is the same stick you use on a man that's grown. You just use a bigger stick. The same punishment applies to everybody. So then we have to conclude that our inner man was created by God, our heart, mind, and conscience. And God sees that inner man, all of it. But our consciences are developed by who we believe. We'll talk about that later. But what does your conscience tell you is right and wrong? What you believe is right and wrong? Are you being bombarded by politicians now that are trying to get you to believe that they're A-OK? A fellow told me the other day, he said, I don't know whether I could vote Democrats. Or, you know, I'm, I've been a Republican all my life. They're politicians too, guy. <laughs> they really are. They ain't no good and bad. It's all an individual situation. Is that man on the inside being honest with his outside? Probably not if he's a politician. I heard one last week say, I'm going to break a politician's rule. I'm going to tell you about this lady that's running for office. She's a real nice lady. They don't say that about each other. You know? <laughs> if I'm running against you, i got to run you down, find out every bit of development I can about you, and tell everybody what it is. And then, it's like I told somebody, they said, well, you going to vote for them? No, I don't think I am. Why? They've been accused of all this stuff, and I ain't heard one word out of them that says that they didn't do it. So they must be telling the truth about it. So if that's the truth and they don't deny it, I'll vote for somebody else. That's how it plays into everyday life, folks. What we've been talking about here from the very first book of the Bible is about everyday life.
It's stuff you'll deal with today. Those truths that we've discussed, you'll have to deal with every day. So there's only one thing I get out of this. We've all got conscience. We've all had guilt. We know what it feels like. We didn't get to live like Adam, not knowing what it was. But when he found out, the first thing he did was sew him up some leaves to cover himself up and hide in the woods from God. But I tell you what, God wants us to be, and he describes it. He wants us to be honest with ourselves, with other people, and with him. And when we do that, we can be a productive Christian and he can bless us and give us all kind of things that he promises to give us from his word as we read this thing every day. That's the lesson to me out of this. I got to be square with God. I can't try to placate. I can't flatter. He says in Proverbs, don't do that with people. Don't do it with me but praise me for who I am. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for opening up a part of your word that I never fully understood. I hope I've been able to explain it. And the way you see things. Lord, if we're going to play your game, we're going to have to play it your way. We can't make up our rules. We're going to have to go by yours. Make us see that. That you know everything. You know everything about us. And there's no use in us trying to lie to you. Or put on our church face. Or put on our public face. But to be honest in everything. In Christ's name we pray, amen.